Hi, and welcome back to the Waddleble Pursuit Podcast. I'm Matt Anthony. And I'm Jason Marshall. Tonight's going to be a little bit different. We don't have Nate with us tonight, unfortunately. He's been our uh, spirit guide, moderator, guy that kind of guides the conversation along. So it's not just Jason and I breathing for 45 minutes, which we're really good at. Absolutely. So what's been going on, Jason? Oh, not much. I had a uh, kind of a busy Masonic schedule uh, this past couple month, and today I had a uh, Masonic Resurrection meeting in lovely Guthrie, Oklahoma. So I did that this morning and just kind of hung out with the family today. Very nice. So we had a, a call for submissions for a contest. I understand we have a winner. We do have a winner, and we will also post this on the website, but uh, one of the things I've kind of found interesting from some of the emails I've gotten from listeners and readers, uh, some people seem to listen to the podcast and not follow the website, and some seem to follow the website and all the podcasts, so we'll kind of cover all of our bases here. Uh, The winner, uh, we have some great submissions. The winner is uh, Jason K. McDonald from Damascus Lodge Number 10 in Provo, Utah. And his piece was titled, Let There Be Light. And I'll go ahead and read it. I didn't feel anxious until lights went out under the door. It was the night I was initiated and entered apprentice. I had looked forward to it for months. What did I feel walking into the lodge that night? Excitement? Yes. Dear friends and near strangers shook my hand, smiling as they asked, Are you nervous? No. I couldn't get started fast enough. No reason to be nervous. No reason to be afraid. Why would I be afraid? Just remember everything will be okay. They escorted me into a small room and told me to sit. Soft music played from somewhere around me. And was that incense? A small candle in the corner, another on the shelf, and the light under the door were all that illuminated the room. They told me to reflect on what was about to happen. They told me it would help me spiritually prepare. What was I going to find? Why was I doing this? I had tried answering that for my wife, for people at work, for myself. I knew it mattered. I knew I was there for more than just curiosity. But every time I tried putting the yearning I felt into words, I found that everything slipped away. I thought I understood why I was doing this, when you didn't ask me about it. But forced out of the hidden recesses of my consciousness, my reasons fled. And then the light went out under the door. From the lodge room, I could hear talking. I couldn't make anything out, just voices rising and falling. The crack of the gavel, and I felt nervous. How did they know I would? The door opened. They asked me questions. They slipped a mask over my eyes. No, that wasn't nervous before. This was nervous. I can't describe what happened next as slow. No. It was as if I didn't realize how frantic my life had become until this ritual shifted time back into its proper track. Why does circling the room feel so comfortable? Oh, the tension was gone. I slipped into an almost familiar pattern. My whole body exhaled. 
I knelt at the altar. I was asked what I most desired. Light. Oh, there was my answer. The reason I was doing this. The substance of what I hoped to find. Why did I try so hard to explain it to others? Light. How could I say it more? All the words that escaped my grasp were concentrated in those five letters. But I cannot see how I will ever exhaust their meaning before I die. It was over. It was wonderful. But it was also remarkably ordinary. Ordinarily remarkable? No. No need to be clever. It was light. My spirit, which had been standing one half step outside my body for years, was finally firmly planted back where it belonged. What was it I felt then? Contentment? Serenity? Tranquility? Was that all? What else was there? Why would I want more? Very cool. So besides having that read here on the podcast, um, what else did uh, the brother win? Uh, he'll get a letter from us as well as a autographed uh, book from one of our authors that are a regular contributor. I haven't quite figured out if that's going to be me, Bob, Jason, Eddie, or who's going to do that right now, but I'll try to figure that out this week. He'll also get a couple uh, TLP decals, and he might get a little uh, scotch and maybe a cigar as well. Wow. It's like uh, worthwhile taking the time to write that out. Yeah, we really appreciate all the entries that uh, we had. Unfortunately, we can only choose one winner. But it was really great to see some of our community feedback. Uh, a lot of times, you know, on the podcast, it's uh, you, uh, you and I and Nate that are up here talking. And we kind of have our normal stable of contributors. But it's great when people do contribute stuff to the project. Because from the beginning, this was supposed to be a... Uh, collaborative effort and so the more light that we can get from around the country or even from around the world uh, the better to us and to that end we're going to actually have another contest this month and we'll post more about it on the uh, website and our facebook page but this month's contest is going to be sideline light to have 500 words or less on some uh Something that you've learned from the sideline, whether a brother pulled you to the side and gave you some words of wisdom or uh, something that you've come to realize from just being a Mason for however long you've been a Mason. And those can be sent to editor at the laudable pursuit.com. Hold on, I need a drink of my Caucasian. I didn't take the time to make myself a drink this evening. I see all your pictures of. Uh, you going around Portland and Seattle enjoying the bar scene and the nice places to eat. Yeah, I'm having a lot, a lot of fun up here. Finding a lot of really cool breweries, um, a lot of really good craft beer. Those who may not know it, well, I don't know why you wouldn't know it all. And, uh, before I moved up here, I had opened a brewery in Oklahoma and ran it for a few years. And then last year, uh, decided to move on and do something else. So, But I still really love beer and this is a great place to like it. Kind of on that topic, I'm finally getting settled in enough here to I think it's time to start looking for a lodge and visiting some lodges. But uh, something I realized once I get here is I never really took advantage of the great gift that we have as Master Masons, and that's the ability to visit other lodges. I wanted to get your thoughts on the proper protocol for visiting other lodges, stuff that 
we may not really think about, you know, once you become a master Mason, you think, Oh, you know, I'm just going to show up and visit a lodge, but is that the way to do it? And when you do show up, how should you conduct yourself and, and little things you may not think about? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, I've really been wanting to do more of is traveling because, as you said, that's one of the, the great gifts or the wages of a Master Mason is the ability to travel. And too often we get comfortable in our home lodge and we don't even visit you know, lodges in our immediate area, uh, not to even mention ones that are out of state. I've been blessed uh, that I've been invited to go speak at lodges from around the country. So I've, I've, I've been able to speak at lodges in Texas and Arkansas, several in Oklahoma, North Carolina. And um, so I, that kind of takes some of the trepidation away because obviously they're inviting me to come. <laughs> and so I already know a contact in the lodge. Um, but from my experience, a lot of it would be to do your homework, first of all, first of all and just reach out to the brothers. Uh, one of the great things about modern technology is most lodges have a Facebook page, a website, just a simple email to whoever's the listed contact. Some, some states do it by worshipful master. Some states or most states do it by secretary. And just tell them you're in the area, whether you've moved there or you're for work or you're traveling through and you'd like to visit. So that way the lodge is kind of put on notice that you have a, you want to attend. And then just don't be afraid to ask about protocol because every lodge is different. Uh, you and I both joined a non-TO lodge as our mother lodge when we joined. And that is very different from the TO lodge that you and I helped start later on. And, you know, our mother lodge, there was no dress code, um, shorts, t-shirts, that was fine for a meeting, uh, for Veritas, which is the TO lodge that you and I helped start, uh, suits required coat and tie. Um, some people wear tucks, some people wear suits. Um, you know, if we have visitors out of town, we've, we've made accommodations for those brothers, um, you know, slacks and a, and a button up. And, you know, if you don't have a tie, somebody will bring you a tie and, you know, maybe we can find a coat that will kind of fit you. Um, but yeah, a lot of that would just be call ahead, do your homework, uh, try to reach out to some brothers before you show up. And if you're going to be in the area for a couple days, try to reach out to somebody on Facebook and see if you can grab some coffee beforehand. And a lot of that will just put you at ease as the brother because, you know, every lodge has its own egregore, its own personality. And by calling ahead and maybe getting to know somebody even just, you know, for a cup of coffee beforehand, that puts you at ease as you travel. Uh, another thing would be make sure you have your dues card with you. And uh, every state's a little bit different on how the protocol is. Some states, you just need to show your dues card and that's fine. Some states will have, you know, you go through the Master Mason Catechism. Some states will just ask you questions about the ritual. Some states will just ask you just general questions to kind of test your knowledge on, you know, whether you seem legit or not. But yeah, definitely call ahead and do your homework beforehand. Have you had a chance to uh, visit any lodges while you've been out there? I have. I've uh, I've known some brothers at Esoterica Lodge in Portland for several years, so I've had the pleasure of going down and visiting them uh, a few times since I got here. In fact, I'm going to go down again this month, and uh, I'm also going to go down for their Scottish Rite reunion. It's a two-and-a-half-hour drive, but I think those guys are worth it. Now, that's in Portland? Yeah, it's in Portland. Does 
So Portland has the Scottish Rite Valley as well. They do. In fact, uh, Esoterica meets inside of the Scottish Rite building in uh, Portland. But I'm really curious about checking out some lodges here. And that's what's interesting with Veritas, our dress code, like you're talking about. And that's why I think it's going to be good to call ahead and talk to the secretary or a few brothers because our dress code was tuxes, at least for the officers. And so I'm used to showing up in my tux. I don't wear the bow tie, but I wear the, the tie. And uh, I always wondered if it would be offensive to show up to a lodge where they don't have that dress code. If they're a little more lax and casual, if that would be seen as something, I don't know, if it would be considered rude. I think as long as you maybe explain that, if you show up in a tux or a suit and everybody else is wearing jeans and t-shirts to explain that, hey, my lodge like to go to, this is what we wear. Yeah. And just be honest about it. Yeah. Um, one thing too, some launches, uh, one thing for Veritas, we had our own, uh, aprons and, you know, a lot of lodges, you know, have visitor aprons, just the cheap, uh, cloth ones, or maybe some 30, 20 or 30 year old, uh, fake leather ones <laughs> that you can borrow that earlier yellow instead of white. Uh, so that's something too, that I always ask, Hey, you know, is it okay if I wear my own apron because, you know, I have a really nice um, past master apron that I'm privileged to wear now. As yeah, Amir, whenever I first visited Esoterica, that was the first thing I asked because at Veritas, you know, I have my uh, master's apron that I would wear, the English style, and uh, the past master collar that was given to me by the lodge. I wanted to make sure it was okay. So that's one thing. The first thing I asked if it was okay if I wear that stuff, and they said, yeah, absolutely. That's a, if that's what you do in your lodge, then you do that while you're a guest here. What do you think about having a dress code? I know sometimes that's a touchy subject on the different message boards, uh, or it was at least at one time, that some people think that it's elitist to have a dress code. What do you think about that? I mean, obviously, since we had the dress code, I don't think it's elitist at all. Um, I think this is a topic that could be tied into the TLP drinking game if one exists. And that's, uh, we keep coming back to the idea of, of doing certain things, taking certain steps so that you mentally are prepared and you know that your time in lodge is going to be different, that it's, it's not how the rest of your life works. It's a time that's set apart from the rest of your life. And having that dress code is another way of sending that signal that this time is different. This time is special. This time is sacred. And so it's the way that we chose to show respect for that time. I don't think that makes it elitist. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's, you know, a lot of times people that are anti-TO seem to focus in on the dress code. And that's just a very small part of the Lodge experience. Um, You know, for Veritas meeting, there's numerous levels that go into one of our meetings. We have uh, beforehand... You know, well, number one, like you were saying, when you get, you put your suit on, or you put your tuxedo on, that immediately gives you a mental cue or, you know, spiritual cue, even the, hey, this is something special, this is something different, and kind of starts getting yourself in that mindset. And then we have incense that, you know, we, we have uh, throughout the kind of the common area, the waiting room before you go into lodge, and then we have incense inside of the lodge. It's candle lit. You know, we have, we've been blessed. We have two great musicians in our lodge. And so you have the music that uh, we circumambulate into that we also play 
during certain parts of the opening and closing ritual. We also play music during the contemplative moments. So everything just kind of builds on itself to have a great experience. And that, and that's, you know, you don't have to do that to even have a great experience. We've said that before, but a lot of that is trying to make a lodge meeting, something special and something meaningful. Uh, on Thursday, I had a grand York Rite meeting for Oklahoma and, you know, one of the topics that we talked about was making, you know, for York Rite, it'd be chapter, to make a chapter meeting something special, something worthwhile. And that that's key. I mean, uh, Brother Bob Davis said, you know, the guys that joined in the 30s, 40s, and 50s joined because they, you know, it, that was the thing to do. Everybody was part of clubs. Everybody joined something. You had guys leaving the military, and they wanted to kind of have that camaraderie and bond. And then you had the baby, baby boomer generation that joined mainly because there was something dad did. And they didn't really have that need for a fraternal bond necessarily, but it was something dad did. It was important to dad, so I'm going to keep the lights on. I'm going to show up, and we're going to have a meeting. We're going to read the minutes. We're going to go home, and that's what I need to do. Well, the thing is, the guys that are joining now, which is the future of the craft, are you know Gen X, Millennials, and what's after Millennials? Gen Y? Is that what it is? Uh yeah, I heard a more clever term the other day. I can't remember what it is, though. Something to do with uh, the aughts. The aughts. The aught generation. But that that's the people who are joining now, and we're joining for a completely different reason. We're not a joining generation. Uh, you know, we have Facebook that we can get in touch, stay in touch with friends and coworkers. And, you know, I'm friends uh, with people on Facebook that I haven't seen in probably 15 years in, in the flesh. But... Uh, so I don't have to necessarily do something to meet people once a week or once a month. So we're coming into the craft wanting a more of a spiritual, a philosophical or transformational experience. And it seems to be the lodges and the grand lodges even that are taking that into account are the ones that are thriving and growing and the lodges that don't seem to be able to make that transition are the ones that are hemorrhaging members. Uh, I think during one of the uh, meetings that I've had before, they said that, you know, reten- an entered apprentice retention rate of 5% is a success. That is craziness. I mean, <laughs> if a business was having a retention rate of, let's say, double that, 10%. So if 10% of the people that were coming in or had a contact with a business had a favorable opinion of it, that business would be out of business with a quickness, and rightfully so. That is deplorable. That means that the people that are coming into our fraternity, the inner apprentices, the, the fellcrafts, or even those that go all the way to Master Mason and never come back, we are not meeting their needs. We're not meeting their interests. And then you have the same people that sit around and twiddle their thumbs and say, well, why not? What's going on? I don't understand. Because you're not meeting their needs. You know, until one of the ends uh, recently, two Grand Lodges uh, voted to ban gay members uh, or gay men from membership. And, you know, of course, you have the outcry on Reddit, on Facebook, and all these other Masonic channels. And the public reads that stuff. I mean, when we post stuff about that on Facebook or Reddit or, you know, I posted a piece on our own blog about it, the profane world sees that. And 
or even members that are maybe on the borderline on do I want to stay a part of this or do I want to just go on down the road? That's terrible. I mean, that is terrible for our public image. I mean, you look at all the studies that show that church attendance in the United States is tanking because the you know people 20 to 45 they're not going to church in a large part because of the strict stance they've taken on some of these moral issues and they just don't go they just don't show up they have something better to do and for freemasonry that's drawn all these young men in because of the enlightenment ideals and philosophical ideals if they see the powers that be as being you know draconian in nature, they won't show up. They won't come, and they won't come to our doors, just like they're stopping going to uh, church and other uh, fraternal and civic organizations that they view as being behind the times. Absolutely. I mean, I, I know we both wouldn't dare try to speak for every new man coming into masonry, but I think you really hit on something earlier in the f- idea that we are not joiners. We are the generation that fully embrace social media this is this is how we operate we we had friends prior to coming into the craft and i think i know i can say this honestly and i know you just said as well i didn't join masonry looking for any fraternal aspect it's been a beautiful beautiful benefit of having joined the craft but it wasn't something that i was looking for i had friends i still have friends outside of lodge and if i was looking for something for a purely social aspect i would have joined my homebrew club or the Rotary or any other great civic club. But what drew us and what I think what is drawing most guys our age and younger is that thing that we can't find. We can find the social activities and social clubs everywhere online or in meat space. But uh, we want something deeper, something more meaningful. And I know that for a lot of us, whenever we finally took the steps and joined masonry, we didn't find that. We found more of the social club aspect. I think that's why a lot of guys haven't stuck around because they didn't join for the social aspect. They joined to find something meaningful. They felt a call within them knowing that whatever it was that they're experiencing in life wasn't enough, that there had to be something deeper. There had to be something more meaningful. And they knew they wanted to improve themselves, but they just weren't sure how. And so whenever the lodges aren't providing that, and they're stuck on these old, as you said, draconian ways, they're not going to stick around. No, and, you know, I get, I, I probably get asked to join some kind of a civic group once a week. I mean, you know, the other day I was out in my garage and uh, one of my many hobbies uh, or one of my many loves, I guess, is cars. And I have a classic Corvette and... I was out in the garage and just had the the garage door open and somebody was driving by, stopped, backed up, came up. Hey, I really like your car. Why don't you join this car club? Mm, you know, no thanks. I mean, again, we're not joiner. And, and I said no. And then after he left and I continued, uh, I'm, I'm working on a woodworking project. 
And as I was sanding some, you know, wood, I kind of thought back to that, you know, why? I mean, I've been asked to join as an attorney, the Bar Association, and they have a special division called the Young Lawyers Division. I have no interest in any of that. And I think that's why I just, I have no need to, oh, I need to join something just to join it. I, I, I need to get something out of it. I need to have some sort of tangible benefit that I can't get through another avenue. I wonder if that's something that would have happened with our generation without social media or if social media was the cause of us not being joiners. I think that's interesting because, yeah, I think we've been so ingrained with social media. Maybe maybe that has taken the place of uh, the need to join fraternal groups or civic groups because, you know, at one time being a member of a car club had a huge benefit because you got to know a lot of friends who knew a lot about cars and you swap parts and all that kind of stuff. Well, nowadays, you know, I, I, I can join the Oklahoma Corvette Owners Association or, you know, check out the Craigslist classifieds if I need a part. So I, I don't need it. I, I don't have to do that. I mean, that's just something extra that now I have to worry about. Right, because guys, you know, our generation, our grand, or not our generation, but our, our father's generations and our grandfather and great-grandfather, you would go to work, you would come home, and you wouldn't interact with anyone other than your family while you are at home. There was no way to do that. So it made perfect sense for the need for, or not necessarily the need, I should say, because there's still, there's still a need for those organizations, but the desire for those organizations because there was no other way to interact with anyone outside of your family. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that I was really blessed is that both of my grandfathers were Masons, and uh, my uh, maternal grandfather was a very active Mason all the way up to the point that he got so ill that he could no longer go to Lodge. Uh, Unfortunately, his Lodge, which is in my hometown of Oklahoma, um, no, no longer exists. It folded in with another Lodge nearby. And just kind of on a whim, I emailed the current Worshipful Master and the secretary and kind of asked, hey, do you guys happen to have any books uh, from my grandfather? And they ended up uh, finding a copy of his petition and a copy of uh, the minutes from his EA, his fellow craft, and uh, his Master Mason degree. And and then also some minutes from whenever he was elected uh, Worshipful Master the first time. And so as I was reading these minutes... I uh, called my mother and kind of asked who some of these people were. And, oh, that was your grandfather's best friend from work. That was your grandfather's boss. Oh, that was a deacon in the church. So that it was in a way for all these men to get together from, you know, the town, from work, from church, uh, and spend time with one another. Where, again, nowadays in social media, we don't have to have that. I mean, I can get on Facebook and see what my coworkers are doing or what an acquaintance is doing. Um, the same thing, my uh, grandfather on my father's side was a member in Wyoming, and I reached out to the uh, master of that lodge, and he sent me a copy of my grandfather's petition and when I was talking to my dad, you know, it was this tight network of people. You know, who, who, who's this guy? Who's this guy? Who's this guy? Well, that was the guy that, you know, gave grandpa a loan for the farm. That was the guy that helped grandpa build the house. This was the guy that, you know, 
used to service grandpa's cars and tractors. So you had this really tight network of people again, where I think in the modern age, you don't necessarily have to have that. I mean, it's a great benefit from the lodge. I mean, that you know, one thing when everybody says that, you know, TL Lodge is elitist, I mean, you look at the membership roles of Veritas, we've got a whole range of guys. I mean, we have professionals, we have business owners, we have, you know, uh, students, we have people who are kind of uh, working vagabonds, I guess. <laughs> and, <laughs> but everybody... You know, so but but in a way, I guess it's good because we have now a really wide and diverse range of friends. In fact, sometimes when I get to a telling a coworker or something a story and it has to do with a Masonic brother, I'm like, oh, here, let me tell you this really interesting backstory of this guy. And in fact, one of my coworkers said, I think you have the most interesting friends of anybody that I know. <laughs> and go back to the the idea of elitism with the dress code. I completely understand where where that thinking comes from. I grew up, we didn't have fancy clothes. I didn't own a suit until I was, gee, I think 25. Even then, it was from a thrift store. So I understand where that thinking comes from. But I think the importance of the our dress code, and everybody has their own way of going about it, but I think something that gets overlooked is whenever it, you have a dress code and everyone's wearing a dark suit, you're no longer aware of that person's title or station in life. Everyone is level in appearance. So that actually removes any notion of elitism, at least in my mind. You've got everyone dressed the same, and you can't tell who is a carpenter, who is a banker, who is a musician. You can't tell those things. No, and in fact, whenever we started Veritas, I was still in law school, and I think I had to go buy a suit for our first meeting because I didn't, I was in law school, but I didn't own a suit. I mean, I was just a poor student and you know, I went to JC Penney's and I think I bought a Stafford, you know, just black Stafford suit for $110 or something like that. I had to put it on a credit card even cause I didn't have $110, but I wore that suit for probably the first three years of lodge, every lodge meeting. Cause that was the only suit I wore. And you know what? It was, I, I felt good wearing it and everybody else was dressed up. And so again, nobody knew that I was some broke student. I had the same, I guess, air quotes here, uniform as everybody else did. And that even goes with, you know, we wear white gloves and that goes to, again, you can't tell if someone has a nice big fancy ring, somebody's hands are worn or rough from, uh, you know, working all day. So again, it, it kind of puts everybody truly on the level at that point that everybody's on the level and everybody's equal. Right. I had such high expectations and ideals of what masonry is. And it, it ended up being that. But to the point of, I waited a year from the time that I decided I wanted to become a mason before I petitioned. Because in my mind, I thought you know dues were going to be hundreds and hundreds of dollars a year. And I thought, I'm going to have to have a suit because this is something really special. And things that are really special usually dress up for them, you know, funerals, weddings. So I spent a year saving every penny I had to buy a suit to save up for dues, which ended up being nowhere near hundreds of dollars a year. <laughs> but it was just that, I think it goes back to what we were looking for whenever we sought out Mason. We thought it this was going to be this thing that was completely different from the rest of the world, that we had our friends, we had our clubs, we had our groups, but we knew that there was something missing. We wanted something more, and we thought 
the masonry would have it, and definitely does. But we knew it was something special, and so that's how we chose to honor it even before we started Veritas. I think that's what kind of drew us all together, That besides being like-minded. But whenever you saw another young guy showing up for his internet apprentice, and he was wearing, if not a suit, that he had actually you know, taken the time to wear something nice, it gave you pause and you knew that, hey, this, this, this is something really meaningful to this guy. So yeah, I mean, like I said, while I understand the thinking that would lead to someone thinking that having a dress code is elitist, I just ask them to stop and consider those things. Well, and I think that people forget with social media how much of a community presence the fraternity now has as far as the larger consciousness of society, where before, if a single lodge or even a grand jurisdiction did something that went against the beliefs of people, um, nobody heard about it really. I mean, it was just an isolated event and until Grand Lodge rolled around the next year, you probably had no idea that a certain lodge did something or even, you know, Grand Master did something unless they sent a official communication to the, uh, individual lodges. But nowadays, you know, if one lodge, you know, blackballs somebody for nefarious reasons, you know, Facebook blows up about it, Reddit blows up about it, Twitter, all the individual blogs. And, you know, there's some people who will say, well, that just means we need to keep all of Masonic business or any kind of Masonic discussion off of social media. And, you know, at a certain point, though, you know, I, I think it can be extremely positive, but unfortunately it seems like all the negative stuff gets the most traffic. You know, we, we talked to, you know, I kind of alluded to it earlier on the, uh, you know, Grand Lodge of Georgia and their recent edict banning homosexuals. And I mean, it's heartbreaking to me. I mean, I, I, I don't know a whole lot of uh, gay brethren, but I know a few and some of those are the greatest men that I know. And I'm, proud i'm privileged to call them brother and you know when when i read some of the comments from brothers uh on the internet who were weighing in on the uh topic in favor i mean it it just broke my heart i mean some of these people that said you know i would never embrace a gay man as a brother why (laughs) and and you know and, and i mean it just blew my mind and some of the people, whenever you started reading their their comments, that you know, it's almost like they, they view uh, gay men as some kind of crazy sexual vampire that is going to you know jump jump them in the bathroom or in the preparation room, and you know some of these brothers that have obviously fake stories because they're just so nonsensical and so out there that you know oh we had one guy who was a gay man join our lodge and he was hitting on all the brothers and you know he was trying to you know play grabby grab with candidates in the preparation room I was like no he did. Uh, no <laughs> I'm, no no at least none of the gay brethren that i know would do that at all yeah and, i think that would speak more to that man's character not to his sexual orientation Absolutely. I mean, you know, but, and I started looking at some of these comments and I'm like, that is so stereotypical of some of these 
some men's thinking that, you know, well, gay man is going to, you know, come and attack me in the bathroom, blah, blah, blah. And it comes from just a place of just abject ignorance. And I mean, and I'll, and I'll freely admit, you know, I'm from a very small town in Oklahoma, the, the large metropolis of Hominy, Oklahoma. Uh, I know you've never heard of it. Uh, Google it, I guess. We'll get some uh, traffic to the Wikipedia page. And um, go ahead and enter me as one of the uh, famous citizens. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, growing up in a small rural town in Oklahoma, I mean, you know, growing up, I had those thoughts that, you know, the, the gay men were all, you know, every child predator was gay, that, uh, you know, all gay men were out to just attack you. Uh, and it's craziness. It wasn't until, you know, I went to college and started actually meeting gay men like, oh, they're not predators. They're not out to get me. They're actually good, decent men, human beings. They're, they're a person just like I am. Uh, and you know, Freemasonry were founded on these enlightenment ideals. And when you have people that bring in, you know, the, you know, some, they'll say that it's a religious conviction, but it's prejudice. I mean, that's what it is. You're bringing your, your, your preconceived notions and your prejudices to bear. And Freemasonry is all about getting past that stuff. And even if it is a religious conviction of yours, it has still has no place in Freemasonry because Freemasonry at its core is, you know, all about universalism and universality. That's why we don't have a requirement that you have a certain faith. I think and when the, I read, go ahead. No, I think you bring up a really good point. And this, this comes to something, uh, uh, a friend of ours and a, a dear brother, um, David Riley, he had a really good response and came at it from an angle I hadn't thought about. Um, and you kind of touched on this. So let me just read a little bit of what he said. I won't read the whole thing, but the part that really stuck out. Of course, I find the edict both reprehensible and damaging to the reputation and dignity of the craft. But actually, the result isn't as offensive to me as the reasoning used to get there. The Grand Lodge of Georgia and the reasoning of the recent edict alludes to basing its ruling on the moral law and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And therein, in my opinion, the Grand Lodge of Georgia has violated one of the landmarks of the fraternity. In Massachusetts, it is specifically stated in the Grand Constitutions the monotheism is the sole dogma of Freemasonry. Freemasonry is no more tied to the Abrahamic face than it is any others. This edict creates an innovation in Freemasonry by claiming that the moral law is exclusively that established by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's more, having begun to insert itself into sectarian religious matters, the Grand Lodge of Georgia then preferences a particular view of Abrahamic theology over others. I know many Christians, many Jews, and a few Muslims. Most of them would not agree with the position of the Grand Lodge. Many churches have established positions at odds with the ruling of the Grand Lodge. As a result, the Grand Lodge is selecting a narrow spectrum of faith and declaring it the necessary faith of Freemasonry. This is a direct violation of the landmarks. Yeah, in fact, when I read uh, the edict when it first came out, you know that, that struck me because in the edict it says, you know, the law of our the almighty God, father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm like, okay, now you're saying that the moral law is exclusive to those religions. And therefore, essentially you have to believe in those religions to be a Freemason. That, that is totally wrong. And that brought me back you know, to the grandmaster of Florida several years ago that banned pagans from the fraternity and, you know, same kind of, uh, 
reasoning is that you had to be of an Abrahamic faith. And when you look, even in fact, I thought it was telling when you looked at that grandmaster signature, he had three crosses stylized into his signature. So he's bringing his religious, you know, beliefs and prejudice to the fraternity. Now, you know, obviously we all have to have a belief in God to come to the fraternity and you shouldn't, you know, check your beliefs and and morality at the door of the lodge however you shouldn't be imposing those beliefs and morale and quote-unquote morality on other brothers because then you're establishing a religious preference for the fraternity essentially and that goes against everything the fraternity stands for and you know i, I kind of got into it with one of the brothers on facebook and i immediately regretted it so I don't think that's the kind of stuff you should really get into on Facebook. But I asked him, I said, okay, if that's okay for this Grand Master to say, you can't be a gay man and a Mason because my uh, Christian viewpoints say that it is morally wrong. And if, if that's okay, if you had a devout Buddhist as a Grand Master who said, okay, everything has to be vegetarian now in, lo- in Lodge because I have a moral objection to meat and to the slaughtering of animals would that be okay i mean it's the same thing you (laughs) you're having somebody force their beliefs religious beliefs and preferences on you and that's totally unmasonic i don't know i'd be okay with the sort of fish fries some kale fries yeah kale fries some you could have hush puppies i guess some (laughs) french fries but again going back to what i said at the beginning of the podcast that is so bad for the fraternity because the the men who are the future of our fraternity, I mean, that's already decided. I mean, <laughs> you know, while you know the topic of you know gay marriage and gay rights might be still debatable for people in their fifties and sixties and forties, I guarantee you, most of the population that is twenties or thirties or maybe even early forties, that is no longer a subject up for debate. I mean, that's one of the things if you look at the generational dynamics, the millennials and uh, I guess we were trying to come up for a name with them before, you know, Gen Y or the aughts, you know, they're very empathetic. And, you know, a lot of people say that millennials are just a bunch of, you know, whiny babies, but that that's one of the keystones of millennials is empathy. And, you know, if we think that you are discriminating against somebody you know, we will push back hard against you. And that, again, goes back to every study that shows that there's a decline in church attendance. And, you know, for our fraternity, that is terrible. I mean, that that if, if you want to kill the fraternity, edicts like this is a great way to do it. Right. And I'm, I'm also, like I said, you use the term heartbroken, and that's, that's absolutely correct. That's how I feel, especially seeing some of the hateful comments coming from brothers that I know for a fact are Scottish Rite Masons. And I can't help but think, you know, were you... Were you sitting in the same degrees as I was? I mean, did you take the same obligation I did? Because your statements are completely counter to the very obligations that you took. Absolutely, and and we've talked about this before. That you know, during even some of our reunions, I'll listen to some of the side conversations, uh, and I'm just and I had the same reaction. Just, are, are you serious? I mean, you know. I, I almost even hate to admit it, but you know, some of these people that are so anti-Islam, anti-gay, you know, anti any religion that isn't, you know, Christianity essentially. And it's like, you know, seriously, did you just 
not listen to the, you know, the degrees that are happening right now. Maybe you should go back and listen to them. But I think a lot of that goes to, it's just ignorance and, and fear is, is where it comes from. And, uh, Again, going back to the TLP drinking game, I'm going to mention Young. So for those playing the TLP drinking game, go ahead and get your drink out. But that's one of the things that uh, Young talks about, that as we age, you know, we're born, and as we develop as teenagers, we basically inherit these systems of ideals and beliefs from our upbringing, and we adopt those as ours. And that serves us well, usually until, you know, for young, he said 40s, uh, basically whenever the transition starts happening at midlife. And you have to be able to put those some of those beliefs aside and become open-minded. That those beliefs, they build up a wall of ignorance around yourself where no spiritual progression, no psychological progression can take place until you break down those barriers. So for myself, being from a small town in Oklahoma, I did. I had it ingrained in me that every religion other than Christianity was totally and completely and fundamentally wrong. That homosexuality was wrong, that it was a sin, that these were evil gay people that were going to rape you in the nearest bathroom. And it took, you know, me being exposed to that in college and be like, okay, that's, that's bull crap. That's complete crap. And so you start having to question some of these beliefs and ideals and you have to wrestle with them. You know, in the Bible, it talks about Jacob wrestling with an angel or God. And that's what it is. It, it, it's wrestling with these beliefs and prejudices and other psychic garbage that we carry around with us. And if you don't deal with that and confront those beliefs and prejudices, you know, you're going to basically turn into a bitter old man that is alone in your ivory tower of prejudice and ignorance. I think that's why it's important that, yeah, I completely understand that it's not necessarily for good for us to be airing this stuff in public forums like Facebook. But like you were saying, by not confronting those things and becoming an angry, bitter old man, we're worried about that happening to the craft. And so it's hard to walk that balance between not making our dirty laundry so public. But whenever something like this happens and it's such a shameful blemish on the craft, we don't really feel like we have much choice but to speak up. Well, going back to the community nature of Facebook and social media, that's one of the beautiful things about Freemasonry is that we can discuss these ideas with other Freemasons. Now, you know, fortunately, unless it's in some kind of a tiled group, that discussion is available to profane eyes. But I think it is so essential that we address these things because, as I said, if you want to kill the fraternity, edicts like this will absolutely do it. Because I'm sorry, the baby boomers... Are not joining are not joining lodges anymore. It's the Gen Y or Gen X millennials on down who are joining. We're the future of the fraternity, and when you do this kind of stuff, you will absolutely turn us off to it. And those you know maybe who were borderline, who maybe aren't having a, f- a fulfilling lodge experience, will just go ahead and leave. I mean, yep, that basically confirms my ideals. My ideas that there's nothing really here for me. I'm going to go home. Uh, playing devil's advocate, what would you say to the brothers that would in turn say, well, good, they they shouldn't have been in Lodge anyway? Well, again, 
at that point, you're just reinforcing your own prejudicial ideal ideas on the fraternity. It's not, there is no requirement to be of an Abrahamic faith. And when you read the grand master's edict, he specifically mentions that the moral law comes from almighty God. Who's the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay. There's a whole lot of other moral laws and other religions that are out there. So, you know, everybody always freaks out on innovation and Freemasonry when you accidentally say and or the, or and in the wrong place. That is an absolute innovation in Freemasonry to say you have to be basically a Christian and you have to adopt this particular belief of morality. So what's the solution here? I mean, we can all do what everybody does on Facebook, become righteously indignant and complain. But what do we do as individual Masons? Well, I think we use this as a learning opportunity, and I kind of feel funny that we've even been spending this much time on the podcast, because that's one of the things when we started uh, The Law of Pursuit is we wanted to focus on the transformational aspects of the fraternity. So when you have black eyes like this that present themselves, I think the key is to use it as a learning opportunity, and reflect on that i mean this you know this caused me even to reflect further on my own beliefs and opinions and you know things i thought were settled long ago about um you know homosexuality um it's kind of i guess the universe sometimes will put things in your path that shortly after uh, the grand master entered his edict i had a pretty good friend from high school who came out as gay on Facebook. And, you know, I immediately kind of, you know, voyeuristically like, oh, I want to click on his, on his profile picture and, you know, see what, see what his boyfriend looks like. And another friend from high school text messaged me and said, oh my God, can you believe so-and-so just came out on Facebook? Man, just think about it. We played football with this guy. You know, we had sleepovers with this guy. And, you know, it was kind of easy to almost get caught up in that. And I had to even say, wait, who cares? I mean, good for him if he's found somebody he's happy with. And who cares? I mean, this is the guy. I mean, yes, he might have seen me undress at halftime or after a football game. Who cares? I mean, seriously, like he never made any advances on me. He never made me feel uncomfortable. He was a good friend. He's the guy that taught me to play chess and you know, he's the guy that kind of got me interested in some of the philosophical stuff that I'm still interested in to this day. So I don't care. It doesn't matter. But it's really easy to fall back into those prejudicial ideas. And again, take a drink. Young uh, <laughs> talks about that some of our prejudicial ideas and instincts are very closely related because, you know, we learn instincts for things to keep us safe in the physical world, the material world. So if we see a snake, your natural reaction is going to be to jump back and then, you know, evaluate maybe whether or not it's venomous or not. But that's a natural instinct is you're going to jump away. If you see a fire, natural instinct, jump away. Then you can evaluate the situation. And sometimes, you know, on the prejudicial level, it's an instinct that's ingrained to us to keep us within the cultural constructs of morality. So when something like homosexuality comes up, 
at least with my own upbringing is jump away. Ooh, it's bad. Push it away. But then, so you have to start, when you start really evaluating those prejudices, you almost have to deal with it almost like changing a habit or an instinct and really reflect on that. But again, that goes back to using it as a learning lesson. We've talked about before that, you know, the fraternity and just life in general constantly gives you ways to work on your Ashler. It gives you the friction and the abrasives necessary to undertake work. Um, as a kid, I loved science. And I remember one year, my parents got me a rock tumbling kit. And I was just amazed because you get these ugly, dirty, nasty rocks, stick them in this little barrel throw some abrasive powder, some water, screw on the on the on the lid, turn it on and 2 days later you'd have beautiful, you know, amethyst and emerald and all these beautiful jewels and that was just cuz of the abrasives and just tumbling and working. But that's how we have to do it from a psychological uh, perspective is, or a spiritual perspective even is use these activities and constructs to our advantage and use them as the abrasive necessary to work on our own Ashlers and on a wider perspective, use them to work on the Ashler that is the fraternity because the individual members are the ones that make up the living stones that compose the spiritual building of Freemasonry. Right. And as Masons, that's why this is so disappointing to a lot of us because we were supposed to be combating the ignorance and darkness of the outer world. So yeah, I, I know we kind of danced around this, in the beginning of the podcast, I'm glad we, we addressed the elephant in the room. It's a hard topic. It's a hard topic for all of us to deal with and how to approach. We love our brothers in Georgia. We love the Grandmaster of Georgia. And when we see something like this that we think is an injustice, something has to be said. Yeah, and you know, I, I have faith that the uh, brethren in Georgia will hopefully write this this wrong and from some of the uh, private messages that I've received on Facebook and some emails uh, I think there's a strong contingent that's going to work to uh, to overcome this so we'll just hopefully chalk this up to a learning lesson and my heart goes out to any uh, brothers in Georgia who are going to be directly uh, affected by this until it is it is corrected absolutely in the end light and love will always win absolutely well, thanks for listening to this episode. We know it was a little different from our normal ones, but uh, we hope you enjoyed it. As always, any show ideas, thoughts, or comments can be shared with us at podcast at the Thanks for listening. <laughs>